The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 126. A sequel to Santa Claus the Movie. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for launch, so let the adventure begin now. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays! We hope you're ready to deck the halls with prequels, sequels, and reboots this year, because our team of sequel elves have been working around the clock to pack our sequel stockings with fake movie ideas that will excite and delight. So, let's meet our crew! How did he get so good at podcasting? Well, he's totally elf-taught. It's Jeff. Yep. Next, just like Santa, red is definitely his color. It's Jeremy. Howdy, howdy. Or should I say ho, ho, ho? (laughs) It feels like every week we make reference to Jeremy's ginger hair, and yet we are a podcast. Well, and and the fact that you use the phrase we. Come on now, bro. (laughs) Come on. Solidarity, brother. And still in disbelief that after five years we're giving this podcast away for free? I'm Adam. Since the holidays are meant to be shared, we decided to invite some friends to meet us at McDonald's while a homeless boy licks his lips through the window. Returning to the podcast tonight from the Advent Calendar House podcast, currently bringing you rad reviews of retro Christmas specials all month long, it's Mike Westfall. Hey, Mike. Hello. So happy to be back. And making his debut on Sequel Quest is the creator of geek throwback sitcom Hot and Nerdy, available on YouTube and Amazon Prime Video. Welcome, Steven Sapellis. In the words of John Lithgow, I'll just say, uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, so good. So good. Man, we are going to talk about a film tonight that I don't know gets talked about enough. So we are certainly doing our part. So Jeremy, why don't you tell him what it's all about? Uh, This week we are talking Santa Claus the Movie from 1985, starring Dudley Moore, John Lithgow, David Huddleston, and Burgess Meredith, directed by Jeanette Swarzak. Now, Jeremy, you speak French. I was certain that you would get this right. (laughs) That that looks more German. Swiss? Zwerk? Directed by somebody that is not English. The origin of Santa Claus is revealed as is the legend of the North Pole's tiny inhabitants. After the toy manufacturing and delivery is perfected over centuries, one of Santa's more ambitious elves, Patch, decides to head to the big city to prove his worth to old Saint Nick, but is taken advantage of by a greedy toy manufacturer named BZ, who exploits his magical floating lollipops for maximum profit. But when the formula is amped up and revealed to be explosive, Santa and Patch race against time to get the killer candy out of town before it's too late. There's a lot going on in this movie. Worth mentioning, produced by the same team who made the Superman movies and Supergirl, specifically the director of Supergirl. I mean, this is a special effects extravaganza that reportedly cost $50 million, some of which may have been funded by McDonald's and Coca-Cola, Paps Blue Ribbon. We'll get into that. But I feel like we, we have to go back to the beginning with this film, because I think if you say Santa Claus the movie to a lot of 
of people, they're like, oh, yeah, that Tim Allen movie. Of course, I know it. <laughs> but we know different. So I need to hear everyone's first exposure to this movie, specifically Stephen, because I know this was essential to your movie-going experience. Yes, that's true. This was the first movie that I saw in the theaters. In 1985, Christmas 1985, I was four years old. There was some kind of promotion on Kodak Film, where if you bought Kodak Film, you got like a dollar or two off the tickets. So my mom got the film, got us the tickets, and it was totally built up for me to be this massive experience. And in my mind, did not disappoint me. From that opening TriStar, you know, Pegasus flying towards the screen, to the ending when basically John Lithgow goes into the Phantom Zone or whatever he does, <laughs> spinning through space. I was enthralled for the entire runtime. Oh, that is awesome. How about you, Mike? I did not see this in theaters. I absolutely remember seeing trailers on TV for it. I remember it being really hyped up. Eventually, I remember watching it. I don't know whether it was on TV or HBO or someone brought over it on video cassette, but I remember watching it at home. But my faint memory, it's just little bits and pieces of the movie that I remembered. And as I rewatched it again, I'm like, oh, I remember this scene with Cornelia, like leaving out that plate of food and the coke can for joe and i thought that was a different movie entirely but no it's the same movie as this santa claus the movie that that was the only time i had seen that i couldn't tell you how old i was and this was the second time i've ever watched this movie but here i found myself unlocking memories that I didn't know were back there. <laughs> and we'll get into that. It may feel like two different movies. <laughs> yeah. How about for you, Jeremy? Had you even heard of Santa Claus the movie? Um, I'm sure I've heard of it. I don't remember watching it until about two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love the fresh perspective. But Jeff, how long has Santa Claus the movie been a part of your life? Yeah, it was almost like notorious in my family because I don't remember if we... It seems likely that we did see it right when it came out because we kind of had like a thing. My family's Christmas traditions generally stop at about 12.30 p.m. on Christmas Day. And then we just kind of are like, well, now what do we do? Uh, and so there have been plenty of times when we have gone to go see a movie on Christmas Day. So it seems possible that we went to go see this on Christmas Day. But either way, we definitely saw it at some point early on because it was like Mike mentioned, it was a it was a big deal and i remember the promotions were everywhere and the it's literally called santa claus the movie and my family always remembers that this is half of a great movie as long as you stop watching at like the halfway point then you're like that was a great movie about the foundations of santa claus but they always have hated the second half and it, it spoils it in my family's uh narrative interesting yeah see for me i knew nothing but the promotion of this movie because i was definitely a mcdonald's kid from as early as i could get there and say i want to go to mcdonald's you know and so i had one of the activity books that you got with your happy meal during the time that this came out and so it was one of those things that was in my life for years the santa claus the movie activity book but i had never seen the movie i had never seen a vhs at the video store it never came on tv and so it just escaped me i was like this thing that i vaguely knew existed and yet i didn't know how to get a hold of it to see it and so recently i was in a thrift store like i do and i found a vhs copy of 
have Santa Claus the movie. And I was like, wow, number one, an essential piece that needs to go on my holiday VHS collection. But two, I can finally fill in that blank spot in my childhood. You know, this thing that I was just like, it looks so magical, but I, I haven't experienced it. And so, uh, in fact, uh, as part of this, I ended up buying both the Marvel Comics adaptation, a large format super special, and the original storybooks and activity books for McDonald's. I had to relive that again. But, you know, unlike The Santa Claus, I feel like this is not a comedic reimagining of the Santa Claus story. It's a sincere attempt to reveal the legend based on, you know, the classic mythology and see then how that innocence could hold up to 80s consumerism as it was, you know, in, in full effect at this time. So, you know, we'll start uh, sharing some of our thoughts about the film in general, but now I will tell you that the director said that he worked very hard to keep a light fairy tale type tone to the film, though it was the second half of the film taking place on the modern day that was rewritten many, many times to try and keep the tone consistent with the first half and what was built up there. So, like Jeff mentioned, we have that first 30 minutes or so that's the Santa Claus origin. What strikes you guys the most when you think about that whole sequence of seeing this man named Claus, who already is delivering toys to children, encounter these strange, tiny beings? Steven, can you recall it as a child what you thought of, of those moments? You know, I can. It was... It's very clear in my memory. The biggest memory that I have of that sequence is when Burgess Meredith appeared. My mom leaned over and said, that's the penguin from Batman. And I was like, what? (laughs) I was like, seriously, that's the same guy? But, you know, I was four. So to me, that whole sequence was like the gospel. This was was a biopic. This wasn't a fictional story to me. This was as real as, you know, La Bamba. (laughs) <laughs> or whatever I was watching back then. So yeah, that's that's how I felt about it. It just felt very authentic. They they took great pains to tell the story in a way that both paid attention to like the legends about Santa Claus and also put like an 80s spin on it, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, my wife feels the same way. And when I brought up this film that, you know, oh, we're going to be doing it on sequel, she's like, that's a great movie. And my wife doesn't think anything from the 80s is great except the Goonies. She's like, I like the Goonies. I like Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealer. And apparently Santa Claus the movie. <laughs> those are her three. What a trilogy. <laughs> How about you, Mike? The memory that stuck out to me the most when I think of Santa Claus the movie is that first five minutes where we see the origins of Claus and then he gets caught in this blizzard and he almost freezes to death. And that sticks with the kid, man. (laughs) Until finally uh, the elves come and rescue him and bring him to the palace that they're living in at the North Pole at the top of the world as they call it. And then we see the big reveal that they've been waiting for him for as long as time exists. And it always kind of bugged me especially now watching it again, that they don't really explain, okay, there's this prophecy, but how long have you been waiting for this? How did this prophecy come about? But they kind of skirt those details and get right into the big reveal of this massive toy factory that is just a marvel to behold. So I'm not really too bent out of shape about it either because they gave us some really great visual. Uh, Jeremy, when you first saw what they were claiming to be the origin of Santa Claus, did you buy it? Was it as epic to you as the origin of Iron Man? No. Um, (laughs) 
I mean, it's a little whitewashed and candy coated, but I, it works for a kid's movie. Okay, so it didn't offend you too much there. The only question I had was the dark ending. He was flying off into space. Spoilers. But yeah, by the time he got to that point, he would have uh, not been yelling anymore. We'll put it that way. And uh, Jeff, like you, you claim that this is the best section of the film. Why is that? For me, it was like, that's what it was billed to be. This is Santa Claus, the movie. This is the movie about Santa Claus. So the whole second part isn't Santa Claus, the movie. It's patch the movie and, and that's fine i mean dudley moore like i i didn't know that as a kid but dudley moore was you know the big name in the movie and he's the comedy and the blah 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 blah. but yeah that first part and i mean like you guys mentioned like when he mentions that his reindeer because his reindeer were what was it was it blitzen and yeah Donner and Blitzen. Is it Donner and Blitzen? Yeah. So you're, as soon as you hear that as a kid, you're like, oh my gosh, that's where they came from? That's amazing. <laughs> and then the same thing too. Yeah, it was this like, it, I don't know, it's fascinating watching children's or movies designed for children and families that danger or fear like it's always just like ooh, is this appropriate for kids but it's like it's so necessary to make the coming out of it even a bigger deal and that kids have to have a little bit of like oh no what's gonna happen and then yeah that it does literally look like they're gonna freeze to death so that then that part where the lights come out and they're marching across the snow it is it's magical and you're just like oh finally here it is and like yeah i just thought it's it's so well done that and it doesn't it doesn't feel as dated even today for me as the second part does the second part feels very 80s and hokey and cheesy but the first part I feel like it stands up. Yeah, now the director said that as they were developing the film, they considered making the entire film an origin. But he's like, he's like, but where do you go from there? He's like, we get, we hit the basic points to set it up, but then what's the conflict right, of being Santa Claus? You know, so, so that's why they added the, the rest of it there. And what's really interesting, you know, going back to one of the things Steven said, it is a thing where it feels like the real Santa Claus is playing himself, and there is an awesome very extensive behind the scenes special that was produced at the time of the movie and it shows the whole production but santa claus introduces it you know he's like hey, hey they wanted to tell my story so i said they could you know <laughs> they do like shots of him as santa claus behind the scenes you know he's never revealed as david huddleston you know but everybody else is an actor playing a part and so for me i i feel like what was most exciting about this beginning is is the origins of the reindeer not just Donner and Blitzen but the fact that the rest of the team they all have personalities they all have you know characteristics that set them apart you know they're not just the names on the list and so I thought that was pretty funny you know as Patch kind of introduces them to Santa but speaking of the reindeer I mean it's pretty amazing what they accomplished both with real reindeer that they trained to pull a real sleigh but plus the animatronic puppets that they had to be the reindeer for all the close-ups and the acting as they say again my wife was like watch the reindeer they're the best <laughs> uh, they, they are they're definitely cute yeah there were parts where it was hard to tell some parts were very obvious it was like oh that's the animatronic reindeer but then there are other parts where it was very seamless of a transition between the real reindeer and and the animatronic one so i was impressed with that for 1985 special yeah. effects oh yeah 
Exactly. They they really accomplished something on the special effects side. It sounds like we may have differing opinions on the overall story, but for the spectacle that we were promised, they definitely delivered on that. Now, one other thing I wanted to mention just I find hilarious from that making of documentary is if you guys watch it, it's on the DVD or the Blu-ray if anybody chooses to buy it, which I did. Needed a cleaner copy. And it was really interesting. So there is the, you know, they have like a hundred or more elf actors, right, to fill this giant workshop space and so there is a scene where like they're basically passing presents back and forth rhythmically to a song and the director in his commentary actually said this was the hardest thing in the whole movie he's like we had to deal with reindeer we had to do special optical effects whatever getting these actors to move in time like they had an actual choreographer and in the behind the scenes they show him by the way you know he's he's european everywhere he goes he's got a cigarette in his mouth you know <laughs> He's just smoking, 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 you know, it's in this kid's movie set. But at one point he calls out this specific elf actor. He's like, no, this guy, this guy's not, no, he's not doing it. And he like goes over there. He's like, he's physically moving the guy. No, you got to do this. You got to do this. You know, so it's very funny, like that they left that in. You know, everything else is, it was wonderful to work on this movie. And he's like, that guy over there. No. <laughs> 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 Almost lost his job, I guess. But this is a a question I had for you, Mike. You've seen a lot of Santa Claus performances on your podcast, many of them vocal performances, but where does this Santa rank for you? I don't hate it. My favorite are the the vocal ones. Like, it's better than the Tim Allen performance. When I think of David Huddleston, I can only think of Santa Claus. I can only see Santa Claus in this movie, as I think Jeff was mentioning before. And making this making of special, having him continue to play the part of Santa Claus and not having him reveal himself as an actor playing Santa Claus was really the right move, especially for the target audience here. So I would say pretty top tier as far as film goes. Uh, my favorite is still from the original Miracle on 34th Street because I, I like a Santa that's just had it with adults. But, <laughs> but this is up there for me. Okay. How about for you, Steven? This is your first exposure to the big screen. Santa's on there. I cannot distinguish Santa from David Huddleston. In my mind when I was a kid, <laughs> And, I, and like I got Castle Grayskull, David Huddleston gave it to me. So <laughs> he's Mark and then you know, as a kid, you see him in other things, and you're and you're thinking that's that's Santa Claus. That's the same guy. Like he was in Life with Mikey, and obviously he was in The Big Lebowski. So yeah, it, yeah. Once I learned that he was an actor named David Huddleston, it was a it was a very sad day in my life as a child. <laughs> once I learned how to read, and I saw the end credits, and I was like, David Huddleston. I thought he was Santa, <laughs> but. Yeah, he's he's still my favorite on-screen Santa. Wow. Okay, Jeff. Uh, I might agree with Mike. Like, I think other than um, what's his name that does Miracle on 34th Street, and I, I'd even go because um, what is it? Richard Attenborough did yeah. him in the re- the remake, and I mean he's a pretty solid choice. Other than he's a much more famous, like people know him as Richard Attenborough. But it, it's something about the present of Santa and and joy and, and jolliness, I guess. Like, I actually auditioned for Santa one time, and for me, it is so hard to legitimately pull off a laugh that sounds like ho, ho, ho. That's not how humans laugh. 
So if you can pull it off, it's like good on you, bro. Like it, it's the the legitness. I think is just is is impressive. Yeah, I mean he's definitely a character that embodies that sweetness, that purity, that innocence. It just comes through so naturally. He doesn't feel like he's putting anything on. And I think for me, the fact that he doesn't have a British accent makes him seem even more like just relatable. Like he's just a guy. He's just a man who wanted to do good things. He. Reminds me a lot of the Santa from Ernest Saves Christmas, but without all like the self-doubt that that guy has, you know, like this Santa's got it together. He knows what he's doing, (laughs) except when people are making fun of his weight, (laughs) when when Dickens brings it to his attention. But he's also uh, someone who, yeah, like the the fact that he carries himself without all the, I don't know, the tropes, I guess, of Santa that you would expect. He really, he doesn't even, he says, yo, he doesn't say ho, 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 like all the time in a ridiculous affectation. And as someone who has played Santa many times myself, going back to high school, I was hired out by some very wealthy families that uh, went to our high school. They're like, hey, you're a big fat guy who acts. Why don't you come and play <laughs> Santa Claus, Russ. I was like, okay. <laughs> Jeff and I were in a play called The Man Who Came to Dinner where I played an old guy with a big white beard, you know? So I guess oh, that's where they got the idea. One. So I did it, and I remember one year I did it with the British accent, and our friend Nassim came up to me at the party, and she's like, Santa, why are you British? <laughs> <laughs> she is a, a very uh, well-to-do actor these days, so I, I guess I should have taken that note, which I did the next year, and I, I, I had a more uh, all-purpose uh, what do they call it? Mid-Atlantic Santa voice, <laughs> mm-hmm. however that goes. So yeah, but I, I just think he's wonderful uh, as a as a character and as you know the the figurehead of the film, at least for that that beginning scene. He, he really keeps it everything grounded. So Jeremy, did you have any particular take on Santa Claus in this movie? Well, he's higher on the list than I anticipated going into it. Yeah, I mean he really embodied the part. I mean, it's it's tough because I was more of the Tim Allen Santa Claus generation, so it's tough to kind of move him down a notch <laughs> to make room. Uh, as long as you're not, it's not Billy Bob Thornton that you're uh, hoping to <laughs> to put over any of them. We're good. Right. No. So now, do you know who was considered, what famous 80s actor was considered to play Santa Claus before David Huddleston got the part? with a a prior choice for director. I do. Well, you can reveal it to us. Go ahead. It was Brian Dennehy. Yeah, because John Carpenter was approached to make this movie. Yes, John Carpenter of The Thing and Halloween. (laughs) I kind of want to see that movie. I know. (laughs) God, if my first theatrical movie was a John Carpenter movie, that would have set me on a whole other course for life. (laughs) and i mean kurt russell plays santa every december now i'm surprised john carpenter's not directing those movies but yeah so i just thought that was a fun bit of trivia what could have been but brian denny he probably wouldn't have been bad but i think again he's always got that little bit of crustiness to him so i think we're, we're lucky we got david huddleston in there now patch who is played by dudley moore he actually helped uh rename the character because that was his son patrick's nickname called him patch he said i'm gonna play an elf i'll be i'll be patch the elf and you know we have the idea of 
Patch going to the big city because there's a whole kerfuffle where he is creating, you know, his assembly line, true industrialization of the workshop. And it seems like it's going well until the kids get the presents that year and they all start falling apart. And so in a, in a heartbreaking scene, you know, Dudley Moore says, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think red's my color. You know, and he passes his assistant apron back to Santa. He's no longer the number one elf. Then he's got to make his decision. How do I get Santa to appreciate me? I'm going to go to the city and I'm going to show him that I could do it there and I could do it anywhere. Sinatra would be proud. So here's the here's the question for you guys then. When we get to Patch the movie, what is your take on this experience with Patch and evil John Lithgow as BZ, the toy magnate? Mike, how about you? Dudley Moore is kind of... He's not quite at his Dudley Morris, but he, he tones it down just enough to still be believable as an elf. So I don't have a problem with him. I don't really have a problem with John Lithgow at all. It's just fun watching him John Lithgowing it up. He's like <laughs> his character on the SNL skit acting. This is the epitome of that. Uh, and, and I kind of enjoyed it coming back to it this time. Again, I forgot that this was the same movie. <laughs> but knowing 80s John Lithgow, like, I wouldn't expect anything else from him. Yeah, well, it sounds like you, with your criticism of Dudley Moore, if he had had, like, you know, a glass of eggnog in every scene, and he was doing a little <laughs> more giggling, then maybe it would be right, Dudley the Moore. the two of them back and forth <laughs> might have been a bit too much, but he had rung it in just enough that their banter back and forth worked for me, because he's still kind of being childish and playful. Yeah, now how about for you, Stephen? Are you a Dudley Moore fan going into this at three years old? <laughs> Your parents watching Arthur at home? Yeah, yeah. They, they were watching all those things. I think I knew him from The Muppet Show. There yeah, was like I was a, about to like say. A famous oh. Muppet Show where he has a crush on Miss Piggy and Miss Piggy has a crush on him. He's the world's <laughs> biggest Miss Piggy fan and she's the world's biggest Dudley Moore fan. So I think I knew him from that. Uh, yeah, and I love him in this. I think he's a lot of fun. You believe him as like this childlike, impish character because he does look like a childlike you know imp and you know for me like the structure of this movie is very similar to, to superman the movie and so they tell the origin story and then they tell the next story uh and the next story involves the villain much like superman the movie who's way over the top so yeah that, that never bothered me about it and maybe it's because i saw it as a four-year-old but i was always fine with that kind of duality of santa claus the movie now, Jeremy, did it that strike you very heavily watching it for the first time now when you saw the shift of he's going to the city, what's going to happen to him? Yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty stark contrast there. But I mean, you just kind of rolled with the story at that point. There was a transitioning point, but... I mean, we just followed Patch along for the ride. Okay, and so for me, this is actually my favorite part of the movie. I was like, <laughs> okay, magic, Santa, you know, he's a prophecy, and he's doing great things for the kids. You know, we learn about the naughty and nice list, all those things. That's wonderful. But let's get to the comedy. Come on, everybody. We're setting dolls on fire in front of a government committee. <laughs> I love everything. I mean, why was there glass and nails? and rocks inside of a doll we, we'll never know we'll never know 
And I, I just think that, yeah, John Lithgow is just the, such a wonderful foil against Patch. You know, like you said, you made references there, Stephen, you know, to his childlike nature. And yeah, John Lithgow just so boisterous, so playing to the rafters there. But I also love the, the whole concept of John Lithgow is why, I don't know why it goes this far he's like because at first he just wants money but then as soon as they make money with these puce pops that they create and they're given to the kids and now kids can float and have fun now he says santa claus is finished and i'm just like santa claus is finished i mean like really you want to be santa and then of course christmas too which i you know i only know that from the simpsons and now i know where they got that from we had great penetration last year with Christmas too. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the legacy, I guess, of this film and pop culture. But yeah, I just I love every moment. You know, uh, Cordelia is fine, but Joe, I like his spunk. I like his attitude. I like seeing an '80s McDonald's, even though it was just on a set. It's not a real one. I was hoping Aww. that they would show somebody ordering because my favorite thing is the menu inside an '80s McDonald's, mm-hmm. the brown <laughs> menu up there. I I just got such a kick out. Out of the adventure portion of this as opposed to the legend portion of it but jeff tell us why the second half of this movie is a disaster i think it's like you guys have said is that it's it's a different movie it just it, for me the tone shifts it feels different it almost it don't even feels like and i mean maybe that was intentional where it's even like the camera like hues are different and i mean maybe that's because it's supposed to feel magical when you're at the north pole and it's supposed to feel gritty and dirty and ugly when you're in the real world and yeah i mean again for our family it was like this is not what we signed up for man we signed up for the magic and this is a, a christmas movie and it's you know the conflict is supposed to be real thin and it's that thing i feel like as much as i love john lithgow in anything john lithgow does it's been done by tim curry another actor that doesn't have like a uh, like a, a medium setting where it's just like he went for an 11 and and that was i mean um, apparently that's what they wanted you know he he just very over the top and I don't know. Again, for me, it feels very 80s in that sense, which is when it came out. And so at the time, I could certainly see people being like, yeah, okay, this is what we uh, what we signed up for. So I think it is also a challenge when you've got such a huge budget movie. I don't know that you can make a huge budget movie especially back in those days, targeted only for children. I wonder if it needed to get a little bit more of the adult edge. And I mean, that's the thing. Dudley Moore has got to be a selling point for adults more than it is for kids. So this does feel like, yeah, it's a little bit more of the adult side of the, the film as well. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely the one who got this movie made, right? You know, you right. cast Dudley right. Moore, then it's it's a go picture. It's a go picture! <laughs> Again, my bow finger moment. <laughs> yeah, so it's really interesting, though, a little bit more just on, you know, the production side you know jeff like you mentioned uh the director did say that was a very conscious choice you know all the different you know camera effects and things that they were using at the north pole versus you know the stark reality of you know the modern world and all of that but also it's interesting you know there's a song in here by sheena easton which i actually <laughs> dislike quite a bit i i did not care for her vocal quality i was like didn't she sing better than this but originally they had paul mccartney slated to come in 
and and provide a song but it just didn't uh, come together i guess on the business side there's reports either that it was him and decided he had too many other commitments or it was the record label that didn't allow it whatever it was paul mccartney was not in here i don't know why they just couldn't license his song we hear his christmas song every year just put that in here somewhere it was written by 85 right so (laughs) the other thing too that i find interesting is the kids you know, just like David Huddleston in a lot of respects at this time, like they were fairly unknown as well. But the boy who plays Joe, I was convinced that was a young Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> I was like, Jimmy Fallon was a child actor? <laughs> And just like I thought that the girl who played Cordelia, I thought it was Jenny Lewis. I was like, oh, "Oh, Jenny Lewis from True Beverly Hills. And I was like, oh, it's not her. Very disappointing for me. No connections, except for Supergirl. I I still don't understand, as much as I loved Supergirl growing up, how I couldn't have found this film and seen it. But this is the question I have for you guys, then, going back to my experience. Why do you think this movie is forgotten? I will tell you that it was not a success. Like, it has a 20% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and it only grossed 23000 and some dollars on that $50 million budget. So people, despite all the advertising, despite the hype around it, it was not a success. And so... I never hear anybody talk about it ever on Christmas movie lists, retro communities, that I, whether it's Twitter or other websites, nobody ever brings it up. And to me, I feel like it does have a timeless quality, uh, like a Christmas story in my mind. So I don't like this is a movie I've watched like three times, you know, in preparation for this and loved it every time. Had I been watching it all these years, it would have been a classic favorite. I'm adding it to the library, right? So why do you guys think it's possibly not more revered? Why has it not grown in its legacy? They just decided to drop the marketing when it bombed at the box office. They didn't put in the same effort the following Christmas to buy it on video, buy the beloved classic that nobody saw. (laughs) So it could be that. Uh, However, I have a different experience from you, and this could just be because I do a holiday podcast. So the circles of other people who also do that talk about more things surrounding that. So I hear a lot more about Santa Claus, the movie, maybe more than the average person. So it hasn't really fallen by the wayside for me, but I definitely understand that a lot of people had no idea this even existed. Yeah. I, I think like you said, Adam, some of it is is the replay on television. Is that I don't think it got the replay on television that a Christmas story gets, or uh, certainly Santa Claus, or even like the, the, the remake of Miracle on 34th Street, which was also a flop, but it gets replay on TV, and so it kind of gets a cult following, and then and that sort of a thing. Whereas, I, yeah, I don't I don't know that this gets aired as much. Yeah, that's how It's a Wonderful Life became a, a right. cult classic as well because of the TV airings. And I again, I remember seeing this once on TV. Might have been the required HBO airing, and then never again. See, my experience is is a little bit different. So I grew up in the New York area, and. A lot of the clips of Santa Claus flying around New York were used in the commercials for the Radio City Christmas Spectacular every year. So you would see those clips every year in local commercials. We saw the show a few times, and they would show those scenes to intro the Radio City uh, Christmas Spectacular. And also, uh, our local station, WPIX, ran it every Christmas. As far as I knew, this was a Christmas classic. It wasn't until, you know, the 90s when I started to speak to people who didn't grow up 
you know, or who weren't my age in 1985, and they always thought I was referring to the Tim Allen movie. That's when I started to see kind of the change in the term Santa Claus of the movie to go from this to the Tim Allen movie. So yeah, I, as far as I knew, this was a this was a, a big hit, but I was wow. a child, and I, and you know, like I said, I'd see it every year. They would run those commercials, and you would see those clips over and over again. That's really fascinating. Yeah, that it could be like you know just a situation of maybe this is a very New York Christmas movie. You know what I'm saying? Like they've embraced well, it. it is. Didn't make it to the West Coast for some reason or, or elsewhere, so, huh. Christmas on the West Coast is not great. So. <laughs> That's true. We can't relate. <laughs> now, this is the, the question then, right? So, we already had two movies in one in this original conception of Santa Claus the movie. So, now the question becomes, what do you do to continue the story the legend's been told the santa claus of the modern day has been told but now here we are in a a whole new century from 1985 so how are we going to tell this story very curious to hear everybody's pitches here tonight so mike why don't you kick us off oh dear okay um so the working title I came up with about 45 minutes before we started recording <laughs> is Santa Claus Red Alert, which makes this sound way cooler than it really is. So don't get too excited. But but we open on the very next Christmas following the events of the first movie as Santa Claus and his reindeer complete another annual flight, treating us, the audience, to a perfected super duper looper as the opening credits begin <laughs> during which we see Santa make stops around the world and the delighted faces of children waking up and finding their toys. This credits montage is important because I realized after putting this together that, like the first movie, I put a lot of focus on the other characters who aren't Santa. Sorry, Claus, you're a good guy. (laughs) Having completed his journey, Santa arrives home to a chorus of cheering elves as Anya and a few other familiar elvish faces have quick welcome home conversations just to establish, hey, we're back too. Uh, Meanwhile, outside a remote, nearly abandoned weather station in an unknown snowy landscape somewhere not too far from the North Pole, the debris from Patch's rocket car lay scattered. Among them, the tank leaking the glitter-like reindeer feed it used as fuel. A faint red light appears, then fades quickly as a pale hand then scoops up the feed, and we find a wild-eyed and worse-for-worn BZ. Having finally landed after the magic of Patch's candy canes finally brought him back down to Earth, only literally. Then we jump to 10 years later, which puts us in 1995 in New York City, where we catch up with a now- close to adulthood Cornelia working at a center for homeless children, a passion we saw beginning to form with Joe in the first movie. She tells the kids at the shelter about meeting Santa Claus and helping save Christmas, though one young girl, whom I now realize I didn't name, seems skeptical of the whole story and runs out of the center, a pleading Cornelia not quick enough to stop her. Back at the North Pole, we see Santa checking in on a now young adult, Joe, who's tending to and bonding with the reindeer and reassures Santa he's happy, though once Santa leaves, we learn Joe's starting to feel out of place as he grows up, unsure of where or if he fits among the elves and the clauses. Santa then checks in on Patch, who, humbled by his experience in New York, has grown to appreciate a more careful craftsmanship and focus his inventive mind on enhancements to Santa's sleigh instead. In this case, he's putting the finishing touches on a new 
rocket-powered sleigh similar to the Patchmobile he created in the first movie. Santa agrees to take a test drive of it, and what follows is him rocketing around the snowy landscape. In the midst of that, we cut back to wherever BZ is, pouring the reindeer feed into a funnel of sorts, boasting loudly to two observing, expressionless guards that this will help put an end to Santa Claus. We then see the wind and snow pick up near where Santa is flying, whipping his vehicle in the air and causing him to turn around. Santa observes that that's the worst snow he's seen since the elves first found him and telling us they're starting to become more and more common and if they get any worse, he's not sure he's going to make his next Christmassy flight. Though Santa admits the new improved Patchmobile is too fast for his liking and that the sleigh and reindeer are more his speed, Joe takes a liking to the vehicle and a proud patch shows off a TV monitor on this model with a new functionality that reads and sends letters aloud to and from Santa. He calls it Electromail. Remember, it's 1995. <laughs> Perhaps it could even run Windows 95 as a tie-in, sort of like McDonald's or Coca-Cola. Anyway, Joe asks to fly to New York to visit her because they haven't seen each other in years and they've only stayed in touch through regular letter writing. Santa's reluctant, saying Joe's needed there with them, but at the urging of an understanding, Anya agrees to let Joe travel to New York. On the way, Joe barely avoids another of BZ's manufactured wintry gales, but he manages to make it to New York. We fly in style around the city at night before landing in front of Cornelia's Youth Center where she shows Joe around, Joe becomes very interested in the work she's doing to help kids who were in similar situations as he was in once a long time ago that he'd almost forgot. He's able to connect with the doubtful girl from earlier and even helps Cornelia find and connect with other kids on the street left to fend for themselves. Though he wishes he could stay longer, Joe vows to return sooner to see Cornelia again. He excitedly returns home, having another closer run-in with BZ's artificial blizzards near the North Pole, but makes it home safely thanks to Santa flying nearby with Donner and Blitzen. An upset Santa insists that he stay home so as not to get hurt in the increasingly violent weather. And even more upset, Joe lashes out when Santa won't even listen to him about the connections he made with Cornelia and the kids back in New York. And more understanding, Anya com comforts him, saying, though, though Santa might only be his adoptive father, Joe has inherited his twinkle and to never stop looking for a ray of hope when all seems lost. Joe's not sure what that means, but he's thankful that someone's listening. Late one night, Patch attaches what amounts to a GPS tracker to the Patchmobile and falls asleep while working on it. When Joe sneaks into the rocking car and leaves in it, not knowing Patch is asleep in the back until a loud snore jolts him awake, the two get caught and grounded in a blizzard, and Patch's tracker is seemingly out of commission. Uh, and in a scene eerily similar to the beginning of the first movie, Joe and Patch appear to be close to freezing to death when a ray of warm red light shines brightly in their direction, nearly blinding them. We hear soft footsteps, but then cut to BZ Station, who orders his guards to go bring that pair to him. We then cut to a cave where Joe and Patch wake up, shocked to feel the warmth in what's clearly a freezing cold cave. They then meet their savior, a reindeer, smaller than Santa's, but large enough to have carried both Joe and Patch to safety. Ray of Light is now revealed to be the reindeer's red nose, and Patch recognizes the source of the reindeer's glow to be the same as the old candy cane recipe he created for BZ all those years ago. That's when a pair of shadows appear, scaring off the small reindeer and grabbing Joe and Patch. 
We then cut back to Santa as he discovers Joe is missing and the Patchmobile and wonders aloud how Joe could be so reckless. And then Anya reminds her husband of his own recklessness long, long ago when he would brave the harshest blizzard in centuries to put smiles on children's faces. Joe has that same Christmas spirit, that same desire to make children smile. Santa understands now, but that's when they receive a lone letter in the fireplace. It's from Cornelia addressed to Joe, which makes Santa realize if she's writing to Joe, that means he's not in New York with her. So nervous Santa sets out with his reindeer determined to brave what seems to be an ever-growing blizzard across the northern hemisphere. We back to Joe and Patch, they come to and are face-to-face with BZ, who now admits having lost everything trying to escape from prison and his business essentially going under while he was away and floating through the stratosphere, which appears to shock and confuse the two wordless guards. BZ explains he survived after eventually landing back in this snowy landscape. He managed to save what was left of the reindeer feed that fueled the last Patchmobile and spent the last decade working on it, using it to experiment with controlling the weather, creating stronger storms, gustier winds, and fog, all in an attempt to enact revenge on them for destroying his life and business. He vows to keep Santa grounded and end Christmas for everyone. With his guards now gone and distracted by his own monologuing, BZ almost doesn't notice Santa's sleigh on his radar heading to New York. He tries to crank the storm up to 11 again using more of that reindeer feed, but Santa and the reindeer get through with another super-duper looper. Santa catches up with Cornelia, who's with that one kid from earlier, realizes Joe isn't there, and despite Santa's insistence he not go with them, he finally gives in. They all fly off to find out wherever Joe and Patch are. They're still tied up with BZ, who nearly sends them out into the elements. When a ray of light from the reindeer's red nose blinds BZ long enough for Joe and Patch to get the upper hand and escape. Uh, And with no one protecting BZ now, Rudolph charges at him. BZ dodges out of the way but realizes too late. He stepped off a very high platform and plummets down to the bottom of a frozen lake. He is done for. And now the storm won't let up on its own. So with the help of Rudolph's nose, Joe and Patch manage to flag down Santa accompanied by Cornelia and the other kid. They naturally help him cut through the fog with Rudolph's nose and make it safely back to the North Pole to the elation of all the elves. There, Joe says again he wants to stay with Cornelia and help her in New York where he can do the most good. A proud Santa now agrees and a a dejected Patch mourns yet another vehicle having been destroyed, but Santa reveals it was his GPS tracker that helped him find the area where they were in. Uh, And he encourages Patch to work on perfecting that navigation and now turning to the little girl adds now that Joe's leaving, someone will need to tend to this new little reindeer again, whose nose shines directly as the camera as we flash to the credits of Santa Claus Red Alert. Whew. Sorry, that All was a long right. <laughs> I feel I've already got the tagline for you, Mike. Last time you believed a man could hoe. Now you'll believe a nose can glow. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, very nice. Gotta bring in the star power of Rudolph. All right, Steven, what did you have in mind? Well, speaking of the star power of Rudolph, here's my pitch. <laughs> uh, so basically, you know, I was thinking about taking it from the beginning. You know, the first Santa Claus movie spoke to the commercialization of the 80s. This one is going to be set in the present day. It's going to retell the origin story a bit and then bring us to what we're dealing with now and what kids are dealing with now. So, you know, there's division, there's fear. Families are forced to spend the holidays over Zoom. The Christmas spirit is on life support, but there is hope. 
in the form of a second ancient elf prophecy about a creature which will unite the world in the 21st century. Who is this creature? We cut to a forest being raised to the ground. There are animal families being separated. A mother and father reindeer appear distressed. We pan to a sign, coming soon, a BZ factory. So in this world, BZ is kind of like Jeff Bezos, you know, a tech billionaire. <laughs> producing devices and apps that get children hooked and destroy their imaginations and creativity and you know while he overworks and underpays his employees and our hero is a 10 year old kid named jake whose mom is one of the bz factory workers he's a latchkey kid he's bullied he believes in santa and you know people make fun of him all the time one night he's you know microwaving his tv dinner or whatever and he sees this thing outside of his window like a glowing red light he goes out to investigate and finds a furry clumsy adorable baby reindeer with a nose so bright and he names him Rudolph. And so, you know, he's kind of the baby Yoda of this movie. <laughs> Tiny, cute Rudolph. Uh, so now the battle's on. Santa believes Rudolph is the prophecy and wants to give him a safe home. BZ wants to exploit Rudolph's cuteness and make him his new mascot. Treat him like one of his employees. Maybe even clone him and make baby Rudolphs for everyone, everyone's house. And I kind of see this as like an international affair, which I think the first Santa Claus doesn't really show you kids in other countries besides the montage. I said it's like a James Bond movie, but with presents instead of bullets. <laughs> so Santa has to travel with Jake and Rudolph on Christmas night, kind of avoiding BZ while also delivering presents. But then when BZ captures the jolly old fat man, it's up to the children of the world to finish his work. They build and exchange presents. They give to those who need most. They keep Santa's legacy alive while the clumsy Rudolph finds his sea legs and his red nose lights the way and reminds the world of the magic of Christmas. And, you know, if we can get BZ in the Phantom Zone or whatever again, that'd be a great ending for me. <laughs> 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 oh, I love it. Very nice. All right, Jeff, what did you have this time around? Well, I thought the perfect title for any of these, just if it's Santa Claus the movie, Santa Claus the sequel. Just seems like it fits <laughs> to me. So, I thought about um, that well done. <laughs> so mine again takes place in in present day i i couldn't figure out how to do uh, uh christmas in a pandemic so i appreciate that but mine uh puffy is still the lead elf but present day santa has shifted so instead of it being about manufacturing toys and delivering them instead we find out that santa's main job is to inspire parents to give the right presents to their kids so he still finds out what kids want like he gets letters now he gets email he corresponds with mall santas and just the, the whole shebang and then tries to figure out ways so there would be like a whole like not just a montage it would be like the first like quarter of the movie or something like that he finds ways of like placing ads where parents will see them sending pop-ups to their to their phones billboards <laughs> you know like all these sort of things to put these ideas in the parents heads of what to actually get their kid so in a straight he's still doing the santa thing but it's in a in a very different sort of a way you know this has been the way that things have gone in the in the the, the modern age but then one of the older elves i just i named him baggy i couldn't think of another <laughs> p name other than puffy and patch so baggy sounds old he's the one that brings to santa's attention that the one problem that has come up is that the naughty list has been based on a percentage of how naughty they actually are. And because of today's culture, there's like the, that percentage has had to keep creeping down and down and down and down because kids are just naughtier than they used to be. And Baggy brings up the fact that like, listen, 
if we really went back to the old ways, none of these kids would qualify. None of them are as good as they used to be, rah, 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 rah. So then this next part of the movie is Santa going undercover to figure out why. Why are kids just naughtier than they used to be? So I would picture kind of like three segments of going to visit three kids, and I'd love to do three different kinds of kids. Like I came up with like, he goes to visit a rich kid in Beijing, he goes to visit a middle-class kid in New York, and he goes to visit a, a like a poor kid in Delhi. And the great thing is, is that like I would see maybe two of them not celebrating Christmas at all. So he's kind of understanding that these kids aren't naughty. It's just that good and bad is not black and white. It's not like you're either naughty or you're nice. Like you're, it's it's shades of gray and and that whole sort of a thing. So basically, the landing is after coming back is that he realizes that we need to just do away with the naughty list. Every child deserves giving, and he decides that we need to come up with an entire new thing where we give to children everywhere, whether they're celebrating Christmas or not, whether they're naughty, like every single child deserves this. How do we do this on this massive scale? So of course, that's where he has to call in Patch, and Patch has to come up with this whole new system about coordinating with like elves around the world, and they get this whole sort of network thing going that Santa kind of becomes almost like the CEO, sort of, because there's this whole network that has to do this whole thing, and he's he's kind of the, um, I don't know, figurehead sounds diminutive, but it's this idea that he's the, the one inspiring it all and still kind of calling the shots, but it's a much larger deal as the entire world becomes a more giving place. Take that, Mrs. Claus. Yeah. There's no naughty list now. <laughs> Basically, Santa Inc. Yeah. There you go. I like it. All right. Well, as I was circling around a title, yeah, Santa Claus the movie, Santa Claus the lunchbox, Santa Claus the flamethrower. <laughs> the kids love this one. But no, I decided to take it in a different direction. So I feel like people will know it is a sequel to Santa Claus the movie only if you were a fan, because this is Christmas 2, the movie. Ten years since the events of the first film, Santa Claus has continued to deliver presents to the children of the world, though it hasn't been a smooth ride. Santa's reindeer Prancer got lost and injured during the Christmas run of 1988 and was nursed back to health in 1989 by a girl named Jessica before rejoining Santa's sleigh team. Santa was convinced to start up the Polar Express as a way of helping more children believe in the magic of Christmas, but most kids just remembered the experience as a trip through an uncanny valley. <laughs> There was also that incident where he was kidnapped by ghouls and a skeleton man tried to take his place. <laughs> but now Santa faces his greatest challenge, interplanetary war. <laughs> <laughs> We catch up with BZ, who we learn floated to Mars, where he was brainwashed by the Martian Empire to facilitate their silent invasion of Earth. He oversaw the activation of Mogwai turned destructive gremlins into the modern world, which had been genetically engineered by Martian scientists and planted in ancient China centuries before. The uprising nearly caused the destruction of the town of Kingston Falls, and the second attempt in New York City was meant to spread worldwide destruction, but just as before was thwarted. For his failure, BZ was mind-wiped and sent to Earth with his bumbling invasion team under the name Dick, where he began posing as a college professor. <laughs> 
Believing that eliminating Santa Claus will dash the spirits of the Earthlings and make them ripe for conquering, the Martian rulers send a soldier named Voldar to kidnap the King of Christmas, which leads all the nations of the world to unite in a common goal to destroy Mars and rescue old Saint Nick. A nuclear strike is planned, but Joe, Cornelia, and Patch appeal to the world leaders, reminding them that Christmas is about peace on Earth, not wars in space. They ask for 48 hours to rescue Santa, but a Martian double agent named Droppo, posing as a senator, forces the former BZ, now Professor Dick, onto the team as the scientific advisor. The trio recognize Dick as their former enemy, but he has no recollection of his past life as a greedy businessman who once declared, Santa is finished! <laughs> boarding an elf-made rocket to the stars and armed with explosive candy canes and Patch's new camouflage wrapping paper, the North Pole crew is standoffish to Dick during the journey but soon realize he's not the evil madman he once was. Dick reveals himself to be a Martian spy but also admits that he has grown to love Earthlings over his many seasons on the Green Planet and no longer ascribes to the Red Planet's conquering philosophies. Forgiveness reigns supreme as Dick agrees to use his knowledge of the Martian military to help sneak Santa out of Mars. Of course, that's easier said than done. Dick and Patch team up to liberate Santa from Voldar's dungeon, while Joe and Cornelia embark on a secret mission of diplomacy, appealing to the sibling monarchs Bomar and Gurmar, trying to convince the Martian royalty that war with Earth will not solve their planet's problems, which are identified as a lack of quality entertainment to subdue the masses, and no Christmas to encourage their subjects to behave throughout the year. In their battle with Voldar, Dick and Patch discover that the magic flying formula in the candy canes has a different effect inside the Martian atmosphere. Instead of providing flight powers or exploding when heated, it provides super strength, but also a case of the giggles as a side effect. The two heroes giggle their way to victory while pummeling the Martian meanie, and Santa is rescued. Meanwhile, we see that diplomacy has prevailed in the form of a direct feed of Earth's entire Christmas movie, TV special, and TV episode library beamed directly to Mars, and Santa forgives his former captors, agreeing to provide them with Christmas too, each year, as long as they keep their treaty with the Earth and agree not to invade. Dick is anointed the Santa Claus of Mars to carry on the tradition, while Patch agrees to stay behind on the Red Planet as Dick's assistant, since his toy ideas are ahead of their time and out of this world christmas too oh well wow oh you oh, created the whole that's christmas uh, cinematic universe time it is. you know martians and christmas they go together like uh, eggnog right. and bacon or some such i have to say i thought with the title i thought you were going like troll Two, where it was going to be completely <laughs> unrelated but it was moderately related so like well done thank you thank you yes no that would have been great though <laughs> I love that concept. Jeff, where does your vote fall? Hmm, well, it did seem like there was a theme of Rudolph. I thought that was a great idea. And so to decide between the two Rudolphs, again, I did. I, I had a desire to see Christmas spirit in the pandemic. So I'm going to go with Stevens. 
All right, Adam. All right. Well, I, yeah, I, I definitely saw that Rudolph theme. It seems like that's what you want as the next step. And yet I hear this whole concept of Santa becoming an influencer on social media behind the scenes. I mean, I, I love this concept of Santa in the modern world and kind of updating Christmas and, you know, the whole network of mall Santas, all of this. That just got my imagination going. So I got to vote for Jeff. All right. Uh, Steven. I really like how much Michael's idea uh, kind of ties into into the first movie so well and brings in Rudolph. So I'll vote for, for that one. All right, Mike. It looks like I have the deciding vote here, and I really like the way that Steven tied in Rudolph as well. So I'm going to give him my vote. Rudolph it is. All right. It is. The red-nosed reindeer is joining the cast of the sequel. So, yeah, here's the, the question we have then, because we have Steven's version of the pitch, right? So we got the baby Yoda Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> we got the merchandising all figured out. That's what this franchise is about, after all. <laughs> but, Steven, if you had to, like, solidify in our minds and say, baby Rudolph means what specifically to you in this script? What do we need to build off of him? I think you need to see him as this kind of underdog character who, when they say that there's this great prophecy about this creature, this majestic creature that will save humanity and unite everyone, you look at this little nerdy gizmo type reindeer and you think, there's no way it's this guy. He can't do anything. He's clumsy. He's the reindeer outcast, like in the, you know, the original Rankin Bass special. And you have to kind of see him through the course of the movie grow and get his courage. Maybe he's afraid of everything, and he finally gets his courage in the end. Now, but if I understand it correctly from, from your general concept, though, is it is it through the merchandising of Rudolph that the world is united? <laughs> that was where my brain started going as I was listening to it. Thinking like, you know, on Christmas night, once, once that red nose starts glowing, that's the kind of thing that everyone sees. You know, when they think Santa's gone, Santa's basically been killed by BZ, they see this red light and they, they feel hope again. Okay. And so and then uh, BZ, where did he end up from your starting point? Yeah, this is kind of a different BZ. I'm almost thinking like a nephew or a, okay. a BZ son. <laughs> he saw his father cast off into space by magic candy cane. <laughs> <laughs> and he developed oh, that better. Yeah. And so Found now another he's... step nephew. Wow, this is okay. Yeah, so so we have this is next generation BZ. Yes. Now I'm getting it. Okay, that yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. The question I have then is: so does the film? Because we we have Rudolph as the centerpiece. Is he then our? my main character that we're actually following. So is he like, he's a CGI Rudolph that talks and we follow him? Or is there a mouthpiece for him and he is just a reindeer like all the other reindeer were just reindeer? I think he's more like a like an E.T. or a Baby Yoda, someone who can mutter things, but you don't quite understand what he's saying. And, and like kind of the 10-year-old boy who befriends him is more of our vehicle for the character. Okay. So and then when he... Because I know you said about the international sort of a thing. So is it like he's like the caretaker so that the kid goes along as well? Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the kid becomes kind of the new Joe of this movie. Mm. The surrogate son to Santa. What happened to the old Joe? <laughs> <laughs> they would improve Joe over here. Can we get a cameo from Yukon Cornelius? Is that, does that fit? Does that fit? 
think peppermint so. mine. <laughs> well, I just feel, I mean, you got to imagine that Rankin Bass wants to throw their hat back in the ring of making Christmas specials <laughs> and movies, right? So sure. this is them. You know, we don't have the Salkins involved. This is all Rankin Bass's <laughs> and legacy movie, you know? Are there any of the Rankin Bass, are they still, are they still with us, Rankin and Bass? They can't be. <laughs> For a second there, I was like, I, you convinced me that they were still alive. I know. <laughs> they have to have an empire, a secret empire, just waiting. Their descendants here are all, uh, you know, ready to to bring it back. But, but one of the Salkines is still alive, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the son has to still be alive. Yeah, he was pretty young. But yeah, so uh, yeah, so I guess uh, when I'm thinking about this this concept of you know Rudolph, the beacon of hope, and all those things, and Santa is missing, so because because you said he got he got kidnapped or he got killed. I'm I'm thinking like he got kidnapped by BZ, but you assume he's dead, just like the beginning of, of Santa Claus the movie, where there's an assumption of death, but Santa <laughs> survived. I would want to get into casting for this new BZ because I feel like that sets a lot of the tone oh, then man, of yeah. the threat. So who are you guys thinking as this man who is inheriting the mantle of John Lithgow and is uh, against Christmas and the, and the Santa Claus empire? I don't know why Jim Carrey just popped into my head, but that's good. My first thought was Jesse Eisenberg because he was, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> a crap Lex Luthor. So maybe <laughs> this is his shot of redemption. And he should just play it exactly the same. You know, there's, there's no change in character. Yeah. Or like, you know, or you go with like a James Marston, like this super handsome dude. Oh, I, I was thinking, who's the guy who played Lex Luthor on Smallville? Michael Rosenbaum. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I, I was thinking, like, are you just choosing another Lex Luthor? I was like, no, no, my man. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? Did anybody come to mind as a, a potential villain? Are you thinking older, or do you like the, the younger casting? I do like the younger. I'm kind of going back to even, like, thinking about along the lines when we were doing our Biodome episode, and we were talking about James Franco, where he's kind of this wackadoo billionaire sort of a thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's almost that thing of, like, you don't want to say, like, try and hit as close to John Lithgow as you can, because you're not, you're going to fail. Like, don't, we, we can't try and do that again again you got to go in a different direction so i think the james marsden one but i don't want to not like james marsden it's going to be so hard has he played a villain i was just trying to think back in his filmography is he a bad guy in westworld no on, on the show dead to me he's kind of a villain I'm surprised because, you know, you would think so often he'd be a good looking jerk boyfriend in something, but I guess right. not. It's just because you've seen X-Men, I think. But <laughs> Well, he was just a boring boyfriend in that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not as exciting as that Wolverine, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, so, hmm. Yeah, so I guess like, yeah, because to me it's like that it sets the tone of the bad guy. Like, do you want it to be comedic? Because it doesn't sound like your take, Stephen, is a comedic film in any way. It's not, it isn't like an over-the-top film. It's definitely in the same tradition as the original, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. But, you know, Lithgow is just, you know, this whirling dervish in the middle of this movie. So <laughs> That's true. You can go out on, on a, like a limb. You can maybe Jeff Goldblum or something like that. Oh, wow. Well, then who's watching the reindeer if Goldblum's on stage? When I was thinking about Jim Carrey, I was just like, only if he's the Robert Zemeckis Scrooge motion <laughs> yeah. capture, and he just right. looks so well, scary, was... he doesn't belong. Right. <laughs> I was picturing, like, like the Count Olaf, so, from Unfortunate <laughs> Events. So, same thing if you want, like, even, like, in the show, it was Neil Patrick Harris. But again, then you're going comedy. and Which, again, I think it's, it's, it's not meant to be us. 
serious drama, right? No, no it's just no. a sincere children's fantasy right. story, it sounds like. so. But I, I kind of like the idea almost playing against type for James Marsden. You know, like, let's get him in there. Let's let him be the villain. He's not going to be Donut Lord anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he was great in Sonic. Now he's going to hate the little furry thing. So now we we're talking about 10 year old boys. So, you know, we can't, it's always so hard to cast any kids now because by the time we get this in production, they'll be teenagers and unrecognizable at the end of Avengers Endgame. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like a kid popping up at the funeral. I just remember, like, I recognize everybody, not him. Who is that? <laughs> That's the kid from Iron Man 3? Okay, if you say so. Um, so, like, we don't have to focus so heavily there, but were there any other supporting characters, Stephen, that you feel like we would need to identify? We need a Mrs. Claus, and we need some sort of lead elf. I guess it's just because he's so associated with his height these days, you know, especially in the Jumanji movie. You know, but when I think of a short elf type, you know, we we have one who's very big in films these days. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. <laughs> so maybe maybe Kevin Hart. Ooh, in there. maybe He's I don't know why he popped into elf. my head. My head. My thought was in a very different sort of a direction. What about Max Greenfield from New Girl? Oh, Schmidt yeah. from New Girl. Is he the guy who was in Jurassic World? No, no, that no, was, he's not that guy. No, but he's, he's in that show, it, yeah. The Neighborhood. Is it called yeah. The Neighborhood? Yeah. What is his energy? I've only seen like two episodes he's of New Girl. Very. What's the appropriate word? Aloof? He's like he's not a jock, but he's very bro. He's both bro and dainty at the same time. That's kind of <laughs> his thing. Hmm. I don't know. It would be a different. It would be very. It would be almost like Bernard was in uh, the Santa Claus. Okay. Yeah, Crumolds. Yeah, that, that I could see that. I'm, I'm almost thinking like Jim Parsons from uh, The Big Bang. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an and easy he, one. And he played Buddy the Elf in that animated special that they did. That's, oh, did he? Uh, yeah, they did a remake of. Elf as like a musical and he mm -hmm. voiced buddy yeah hmm, that could be good yeah i mean he, I, he's definitely i guess like what it comes down to is dudley moore was the big name you know marquee name of the first film so it, do you feel like that's where you go again it's okay it's, you know we focus on the elf is the big star the villain a slightly lesser star and, you know jim parsons would definitely be a, like a huge name and then it becomes almost more about him is he a so, huge name well, I don't know if I, I go that far. In movies? Well, not in movies, but in people's homes for all those years. I mean, everybody's going to know it's him. All all the reviews, you know, and, and people will just like be like, oh, yeah, yeah, Sheldon the Elf, ha, ha, ha. You know, like that's everybody be talking about. So, but yeah, I, I feel like Jim Parsons could give a pretty fun energy to that, whether or not he's doing a Sheldon-esque uh, type yeah. character or otherwise. A neurotic elf. Yeah. <laughs> now, Mrs. Claus, you're saying we have to recast because, I mean, David Huddleston and, and the gal who played Anya are no longer with us, or are they just super old? David Huddleston has died. Anya, I believe, is still alive. Mrs. Claus is tough. Yeah. Is it? How could... Betty White. It's Betty White. <laughs> Betty White. <laughs> and then you're done. You move on. I was going Kathy Bates. She be, I, has she already played Mrs. Claus at some point? That's a good question. Did she? She feels like she would have been cast in that role. Yeah. On Google, on Yahoo, on Alta Vista. Alta Vista. <laughs> so, but is, is Mrs. Claus a fairly... <laughs> She significant did. role or is she a little no i mean i think if we're if we're retelling parts of the origin almost like the oh, batman begins of santa oh, claus, claus. Yeah. 
Oh, there's oh, a is win. that what she was in? <laughs> and I guess it also depends who we cast as Santa Claus. Yeah. Right, right. So there's a there's a big issue there. I, I feel like at this point you got to be, okay, who hasn't played Santa? <laughs> so yeah. if Tim Allen is playing Santa, and, you know, we got Kurt Russell playing Santa now and everything else. So, yeah, it, it, it feels like as we're going with our casting right now, we're going almost against type. And we don't want to mess with Santa. We still want him yeah, to be lovable. Yeah. But, but what would be a unique casting for Santa, you know, I'm like I'm thinking The Rock. No, we're not going to oh. cast away Johnson as Santa. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. It, it, that again, that's a real dangerous one because this, yeah, so much hinges on that perfect choice. I think. Although I wouldn't have thought of Kurt Russell, and apparently he's doing well. So I almost think like Tom Hanks or someone who's just the most beloved human right. being on the planet. Although that's he true. has Polar yeah, Express, so I don't know uh, if that would be a. It's okay. This is real live action. Yeah. Right. Right. Because I was thinking the same thing. You're right. I mean, he's America's Tom Hanks. How do you go? It would be a Tom Hanks movie, you know? No Bill Murray as Santa? Uh, Well, if we're going to give Tom Hanks a shot, maybe J.K. Simmons, who uh, was Santa and Klaus. Yeah. I mean, you need like that warmth that David Huddleston has. Yeah. 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 I don't know that J.K. has that. No. Not, Not by default, at least. Right. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I almost see, like, Kevin James getting the role, and then all of us being really disappointed. That's true. It <laughs> feels like that's yeah, where it would go. Yeah, you could surprise us all. You're right. It would be an interesting one to give to Jim Carrey. You know, you know he could pull it off if he was willing to. You think so? Yeah. Jim Carrey as Santa? No. Well, because, yeah, he's done, I mean, like, go to, like, The Majestic and stuff like that. He's done Heartfelt. He can definitely do sure. that. Now a crazy old man. So you can slap the, the glint in Jim Carrey's eye is one of malevolence <laughs> is how I feel. I, I, I think it's hard for people to look past that no matter how good the performance. Yeah, it's almost like he's a Grinch or something. <laughs> how about that? <laughs> now, what, what about this, guys? What about Vincent D'Onofrio as Santa? Oh, you're talking about a glint. Oh. He's going to murder everybody. <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like he's he also has played more innocent type characters before, you know, not as often, but but I feel like he could surprise us all. I just keep thinking about him in Full Metal Jacket sitting exactly. on the toilet. That's what I keep thinking. <laughs> or, he was or a or young Kingpin. man, now he's an I old man. Kingpin. Kingpin with a beard. He'll slam some heads in the sleigh door just to get some <laughs> some, some things done. <laughs> Well, I feel like it it just comes down to because he should be in everything. Tom Hanks is Santa. Make it so. You can't go wrong. Yes. Got to get it done. Wow. Okay, so we got we got a pretty uh, eclectic cast here, but I think it's good. I think it's good. We have the anchor in Tom Hanks. We have a, a surprise villainous role from James Marsden. We got Sheldon coming in as an elf. And that's good. People will be like, oh, yeah, we love him. We haven't seen him in anything for so long. <laughs> he voiced that Muppet and then stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah so i i guess the you know we don't the, the voice of rudolph i feel is like that's where you have to give it to like something for the younger generation you know so like taylor swift voices rudolph and it's only a few lines you know but everybody's like oh yeah taylor swift is in this movie then she sings the song you know at the credits that type of thing just just throw one to the kids yeah or ed sheeran because his hair is the same color as rudolph's nose that's true <laughs> 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 or Alan Tudyk, just because he always does stuff like that. Yeah. 
We need you to bark like a chicken, Alan. Oh, all right, I got that. <laughs> So and then if we are if we have anything else going on here, I, I feel like we gotta run back to the beginning of Sequel Quest, where we actually used to talk merchandising. So as we wrap this up, like we say, this may be the next big thing. This is the return of Rudolph to prominence. You know, Elf on the Shelf's getting a lot of attention these days. Rudolph needs to come back in all our minds. So what type of product do you think, whether it would be featured in the film because i feel like at least by the end of the movie like you say everybody's inspired by rudolph we believe in rudolph people now know the legend and so this thing appears you know under the trees or whatever everybody gets a rudolph something i don't know what what do you guys think tickle me rudolph <laughs> it's off with a Bluetooth yeah. nose that you can turn on and off with Alexa. Yeah, there you go. No, yeah, it's like, a replacement like Alexa. Right. Just it's the upgrade. It's called Rudolph. Rudolph <laughs> too. Like with Baby Yoda, they're just kind of selling Baby Yodas, right? Yeah, like he's on everything. Yeah, yes. true. And it's usually just him with the little sack or whatever he's wearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that well, actually, that's a good that's a good way to go then. So this is a question. You know, Rudolph could just be a Rudolph with a you know red nose, like we expect. You know, that's all he is. He's a reindeer. But I feel like we gotta spruce him up a little bit here. He's gotta have like a special collar he's got to have you know uh, an antler ornament you know there's got to there's got to be something that makes this rudolph distinct and that's what everybody's like oh yeah did you get the rudolph for your front yard that has this i mean like would he have a chimped antler that he is a little bit self-conscious about i feel like his nose has got to look weird like that's the, the that's kind of the thing that it's not just a regular nose that happens to be red, but it's actually like a, that somehow it's ugly cute or whatever. And then then it does it like upgrade by the end and it becomes like this you know shining jewel thing or something. Not necessarily. I mean, it could just be the ugly duckling thing where it's like your ugly feature is what we need or whatever. Okay. Well, then, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, like, you know, we have the the nose could be something. If you want to say, like, why would it look weird? It, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what what particular feature on it would stand out. Um, well, in the Rankin-Bass one, it kind of looks like a Christmas bulb. Right. Yeah. Popped on his... <laughs> it's much there. larger than everyone else's nose, and yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe it's just a size thing. Yeah. It's just a giant nose. Yeah, it's just like this nose, that, that's a big nose. Can't get away from it. Uh, and he, you know, he's wear, he wears a bigger collar to make uh, his nose look smaller. You know, all those tricks that you there use. You I mean, yeah. Buck teeth. <laughs> yeah. Trying to distract you. Puts on an eye patch. You know, he's just anything to draw <laughs> attention away from the nose. He's like the Snake Plissken of uh, Rudolph's. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There you go. Back to John Carpenter again. There we go. <laughs> And Kurt Russell, for that matter, yeah. Yeah. Just trying to imagine, like, when, you know, the Christmas rolls around and everybody wants their giant Rudolph nose? Like, is that is that something everybody just puts the nose, like, in their wreath on their door? Like, it's just the, the nose just stands out. I mean, maybe the shape of it? The secret these days has got, it's got to be the meme. Is that it's got to turn into a meme. I don't, and I don't know if those are intentional. I kind of don't think so. I think it's just the internet does that on its own. But like, that's, that's what hooks the, hooks this generation. Right. You'd have the Snapchat filter. There we go. Oh, that's, that's good. It. 
Well, that's really go. good. That's good. Everybody does the Rudolph nose, and then there's the Rudolph challenge and whatever else. You know, united on social media, everybody's hopes are brought back because Rudolph is on the case. And yeah, there we go. I like it. I like it. Rudolph is a symbol for taking your your weakness or your uniqueness that may not be celebrated and rising above as he should be. And everybody's all about that. So there we go. The Rudolph nose app. <laughs> Loving it, loving it. Well, everybody, I think we uh, we brought a little Christmas cheer. That's right, it's back. And hopefully made more people aware of Santa Claus the movie. If you haven't checked it out, go rent it this Christmas. Enjoy it. Maybe it will become a tradition in your family. But in the meantime, there's lots of exciting things that you could get in on this month and beyond. So why don't you tell them, Mike, where they can find you on the internet? Sure, you can find my podcast, The Advent Calendar House, at adventcalendar.house. Follow along all month long, leading up to Christmas Eve, with 12 episodes covering TV specials of holidays past. And I'm also on Twitter at FallWestMike. Now, is there one in particular that you're very excited to be covering this year, Mike? Uh, well, a couple of days ago, I came out with the Christmas toy, which is the longest one of the set. And that was that was really fun to record. Got the Little Drummer Boy by Rankin Bass coming up. I got a good one on Disney's A Christmas Carol that we covered. And we're closing out with the Smurfs. Oh, nice. Yes, and I was lucky enough to join in on two different episodes, so if you're a fan of this voice, go check out the Evan Calendar House podcast where I was on, talking about Super Mario Brothers at Christmas. Yes. Oh, yes. And also Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun with Scrooge, and man, yeah, going back with the original record version of it and mm -hmm. everything, that, that was really cool. So yeah, definitely check out the Advent Cal House on uh, social media so you guys can be connected. How about you, Stephen? Where can people find your projects? Well, as you mentioned at the top, Hot and Nerdy is on Amazon Prime and YouTube, uh, and my Twitter is StephenStaples81, so check me out for my thoughts on whatever classic TV show I happen to be watching at the minute. <laughs> Very nice. And uh, of course, you can find us on the Retro Network. We're always excited to bring you our ideas for sequels, prequels, and reboots, but we would love to hear yours as well. So if you have a movie or a franchise that you feel like needs to be rejuvenated, reach out to us on social media at SQPod. You can send us an email, maybe with your Christmas list of uh, shows we should do, to sequelquestpod at gmail.com. And uh, we're always ready and willing to accept you or your ideas. We'll take either one. And until next time... <laughs> we thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.